Hello, and welcome to the Maiden to Mother podcast. My name is Natalie Bailey, and I'm thrilled you're here. Transitioning from the youthful years of maidenhood to the divine role of motherhood is an arduous journey, one of transformation, of growth, of beauty, and of chaos. In this space, we connect with women and professionals to hear their personal and witnessed experiences of women taking this amazing journey from maiden to mother. Okay, so wow, I'm actually doing this. This is the first episode of the Maiden to Mother podcast. And um, I'll be honest, I didn't even know this was coming as quickly as it did, but I am so glad to be giving an outlet to my creativity and my desire to connect with other women and um, have shared experiences so we can all glean from one another's wisdom and insight. Um, so thank you for joining me here. Um, so this first episode, I will just take the time to explain why I'm even doing this and uh, my own personal journey uh, from maiden to mother and the um, growth, painful and beautiful as it has been, that has occurred for me. Um, and hopefully from hearing my story and from hearing from some of the amazing guests that we're going to have on this podcast, um, you'll find some inspiration. I, I figure we will be crying together, we will be laughing together, um, despite the distance and technology between us. Just hearing that you are not alone and um, finding the nostalgia in a way of hearing other people's stories and um, living in their memories with them, even temporarily, provides us with such a sense of connection to one another. And that's just so important for us uh, as humans, but even more so for women when we transition from... Um, from being maidens to uh, to the never ever leaving you role of motherhood. Um, okay, so my story um, is an interesting one. Um, I began my journey into motherhood um, in February of 2014 when I found out I was pregnant with my first son, and um, it was an excitement like no other. My husband and I had been trying for about six months. It was one of those situations where I finally just said, screw it, who cares if we get pregnant or not, and I genuinely meant it. Um, and then we got pregnant. Um, it's always that surrender, right? And so my pregnancy with him was wonderful. I loved being pregnant. I mean, there was the usual uncomfortable, you know, stages of sleeping and uh, navigating new weight and new desires for eating. I had been a vegetarian for five years before I got pregnant with my son and then I said, bring on the meat. <laughs> and, um, and I just loved being pregnant. It was amazing. My husband and I just, just enjoyed every aspect of it, finding out his gender and um, celebrating that and, you know, just Oh, it was wonderful. We were going to be giving our both of our families the first uh, grandchild. So it was pretty special and remarkable. Um, 
and I loved being pregnant. It was beautiful. Uh, we decided to do, or I decided, and my willing husband came along, um, to do the Bradley method. And um, I really knew from the beginning that I wanted to have um, a natural birth. I wanted to experience um, this power that I know I have been born to perform and to um, show by being a woman. This is my role. I am a divine creator and whatever the great powers above have um, given to me in terms of a child, I want to bring that child into the world in the way that um, I meant to or that I'm supposed to, I suppose, which is always a fun phrase, right? You're supposed to. Anyway, so uh, the Bradley method for us was it was awesome. It was very informative. Our teacher was incredible, um, very, very down to earth, very real about exactly what birth can entail. Um, and I always left those classes with the instructor and my husband both. We left feeling really uh, empowered um, and, and capable and knowing that we could handle anything that came our way. But little did my husband and I know what we had in store for us. So um, less than a week after my baby shower, my blessing way um, for my son and I, um, I began to experience um, extreme um, upper abdominal pain um, in my rib cage, in the back, in my back. And um, I thought for a little while it was just heartburn and I would move through it and it'd be okay. We had had cheesesteaks the night before and uh, this cheesesteak place is now famous in our family for, uh, you know, potentially putting me into labor, but we all know it didn't really. It just happened to be a coincidence. Um, but I moved through about um, 12 hours in a day of some pretty intense pain until at night um, it was on September 11th. I was on my hands and knees in the shower in excruciating pain. Um, and my husband called our midwifery. Um, we were planning a home birth with a midwife through a local birth center. And um, so we called the midwife and she heard me in the background um, basically screaming and told us to get to the hospital as soon as possible. And so... Uh, my husband rushed me to um, the up to Hogue, our local hospital, um, and uh, I knew we needed to go to that hospital because I began to recognize that something wasn't right, and if I were to have this baby as early as 30 weeks, then we would need a hospital that had a good NICU to help our, our son. Um, and so we drove um, through Newport up to um, the hospital. And um, I remember actually as I was walking down our hallway to the garage to go into the car, I remember looking into our son's room and uh, with the crib and everything set up and thinking, oh my God, you're coming early. Um, and then that, that thought kind of faded rather quickly. Um, and ironically, I remember as a little girl hearing that, um, babies can make it usually, um, well at, from 26 weeks on, 
um, in the NICU. And that piece of information has stayed in my brain since I was in my teenage years. And I have no idea, I had no idea why up until this point. And then that thought flashed in my head after we passed the nursery of, okay, you're past 26 weeks, your baby should be okay. And I found some strength in that. I, I can't even tell you where I heard that piece of information. Um, but it gave me a lot of um, comfort, actually. And so fast forward to arriving at the hospital, my poor sweet husband is panicked and um, I'm in excruciating pain. They are wheeling me into the OR, or not rather the OR, but into um, the emergency room and are doing all sorts of blood tests, um, ultrasounds, all that good stuff. And um, I will never forget uh, just sitting on the bed with my husband kind of pacing around me in the hospital room and the doctor, the on-call emergency room doctor coming in. Um, she was a, a middle-aged woman and um, I could see the fear in her face and in her eyes that something was really not right. And um, she told me that my blood work had come back and that my platelets and enzymes uh, levels for my liver were extremely unsafe. That um, based off of those um, readings alone, I was diagnosed with what is called HELP syndrome. And it is a, I guess, a variation, an extreme variation of eclampsia, um, where basically my body just starts to shut down, um, my liver being the main thing. Um, uh, from what we learned later, it happens to about 0.2% of women. Um, and if it happens to women in developing countries, it kills 80% of them. Um, and we later found out, or we found out in the moment, that if, according to my blood work, if we had waited... Um, maybe one or two hours more, it is possible that my liver could have ruptured and I could have bled internally and never met my son. Um, so divine intervention, right? Coming in, telling us to go, um, etc. So I remember, you know, seeing her panicked face, seeing my husband just go completely white. And um, there is something in my head that switched on to almost a primal instinct of, okay, I gotta handle this. Like, I, I gotta, I, this is not about me right now, even though these people are telling me that my life is potentially in danger, that my liver is so stressed out that there is a great chance of, um, of internal bleeding and internal harm. I, I just immediately thought, okay, well, we need to get my son out. Um, and that was what the doctor actually recommended. She came in and said, gave me the results and said, okay, the only way we can, we know to get your liver to stop shutting down is to get the baby out. And so we're going to need to prep you for the OR. And, um, my husband's hands went up over his head and he grabbed behind us. I mean, he just couldn't believe what was happening and, and I couldn't either. Um, but like I said, this instinct came over me of like, okay, let we, it's go time. And so I immediately, um, countered the doctor and said, you know, if it's possible, I'd really like to try to have him vaginally. 
And she looked at me like I was just a crazy person. And she like repeated herself a couple times about the state of, of my condition. And, um, I continue to, yes, I understand, you know, et cetera. Um, but I'd really like to try to have my son vaginally. Um, my thinking being for that, I, they were already getting my, my liver under control. I was on a magnesium, uh, IV and I could feel my pain was subsiding and, um, I was able to manage things. And so I knew if he had to come out in order for my body to readjust, then I needed to give him the best chance possible. And learning from my Bradley class, the best way to clear the lungs of a baby is to be pushed out of the vaginal canal. That's exactly, or one of the many purposes of um, that tight opening is to help the baby expel from its mouth the fluid that it's been carrying in its lungs while in vitro, while in the womb. And um, again, I tried to explain this to the doctors and I got looks like I was just insane. Um, but I was very steadfast. Um, in fact, they said, okay, well, let's take you down to um, a delivery room, keep you on an IV. Um, we're going to give you steroids because no matter how your son comes out, we want to give his lungs the best chance. Um, and we'll need to take, you know, continuous blood work um, while you're here, which became very uncomfortable after a while. Um, so I was down in this uh, delivery room, kind of set up basically in a way. Um, and I don't specifically remember the time and how long it all took. Um, but I do remember speaking to three different doctors of differing specialties and basically having to try to convince them that I can have my baby vaginally. And in many ways, asking for permission to do so, um, which, you know, in hindsight is rather ridiculous that I'm asking, um, three different people, men and women, if it's okay that I give birth to my baby with my body in the way that I want to. Um, you know, these people had just met me several hours before. They knew nothing about me, um, but were already lumping me into uh, this, you know, patient that they knew more about than I did. Um, so... Finally, they decided, yes, they would allow me <laughs> to try to have my son vaginally. And um, so I went through the ringer. I went through pretty much everything you can think of to try to induce labor. I had a Foley balloon placed in, which my husband always says it looked like a medieval torture device, you know, being put in. Um, I had my water broken once I got to three centimeters. Um, I had Pitocin. I had an epidural um, put in, but I did not want them to actually give me anesthesia. I was still adamant that I wanted to feel everything, even though this was a synthetic delivery. I wanted to feel it. Um, and I, I had remembered 
learning that Pitocin contractions are, are actually much more intense than regular contractions, but I also had nothing to compare it to. So I just said, okay, well, let's just go with it. And again, they all, uh, people in the room all thought I was crazy. So I sat at three centimeters for quite a while. And um, it was in the early morning of September 13th, probably um, around like 1.30. Um, I had had a nurse that was less than supportive, a night nurse that was less than supportive. And they had obviously been tracking how long I had been on Pitocin and all these different um, interventions. And uh, I started getting pressure from her to, uh, and not in a subtle way, by the way, uh, but pressure to, you know, move things along. Like I actually have a whole hell of a lot of control over it. And um, I remember, oh, I said I wouldn't cry, but I, I may have to. I remember um, having the nurse wake up Justin. God love him. He was sleeping and he hadn't slept well at all. And obviously I hadn't either. And um, I asked her to wake him up and I he came over to my side and held my hands and I just started repeating the mantra over and over again. This is where I am. This is where I will be. This is where I will breathe. And I really started to just fully surrender into what was happening with my body and not letting fear slow me down anymore and holding on to my husband's hands um, and, and pulling from his strength, although he claims he didn't have any for me. He had more than anybody I'll ever, uh, I could have ever wanted to be in that room. Uh, all of a sudden things started to change. My contractions started to get more intense. Um, and I started talking to my son. Um, his name is Jai. I can't believe I haven't mentioned that yet. Um, and I started saying to him, all right, buddy, we, we're, we got to do this together, Jai. We got to do this together. We need to get you out together. This is the time. This is the way we can do this. You've got this, buddy. You're doing great. And I just started talking out loud. And the contractions were absolutely the most gut-wrenching uh, pain I've ever felt. Um, but... From in 30 minutes, I went from being three centimeters to eight centimeters, which was enough for my little son to squeeze through. And I remember the nurse coming back in in 30 minutes, like she said she would, and checking on me and saying, you know, Justin, my husband said, you know, they're, they're kind of intense, like this is a lot. And the nurse said to me, well, let me know if you feel like you need to poop. And I did. I said, I absolutely have feel that, that sensation. And um, she kind of checked me and looked down and then got this panicked look on her face and immediately um, started making phone calls and getting people in. Um, I was already feeling the sensation to push. I was being told not to push. Um, and uh, then my room became a party scene. The lights all came on. And um, the NICU team came in, which was, I think was about a team of five people. Um, and then the doctor kind of came in as well in a little bit of shock as to what was actually happening. And um, 
I remember getting ready, you know, my legs and the stirrups, getting all of that ready to push. And um, I remember overhearing the people of the NICU talking about what they were doing over the weekend or what they had done last night or something of that nature. And my husband heard it too. And he had brought our Tibetan singing bowl to play over me and to help calm me down. And he was amazing in that way. And he grabbed that Tibetan singing bowl and he slammed that mallet on that bowl so hard and it reverberated so loud in that hospital room that it went dead silent. And, you know, he later told me that was his way of bringing everyone's attention to the fact that something tremendous is happening. This is not just anybody on this bed. This is a woman, a real person, and what's happening is real and sacred and important. And um, that was one of the most amazing expressions of love my husband has ever shown me. It was tremendous. It was exactly what I needed in that moment. And so uh, three pushes, three very strong pushes, and my little three-pound, four-ounce baby came out um, at 2.04 in the morning. Um, and this is definitely where I probably will have tears, but, um, he was immediately, uh, cut from the, I heard him cry and, um, he was immediately cut from the placenta. I was shaking so profusely. I couldn't do anything from all of the drugs and the, and the, um, chemical highs in my body, both, um, regulated, uh, medically and on my own and natural. And, um, it was a blur of, when he came out and just being like, okay, that's done. It's over. And, you know, being, uh, examined and, and, and being taken care of by the OB. Um, and then I do remember just kind of coming to a little bit. Um, and this woman standing next to me with my son all wrapped up in blankets, just showing his little head and she shows him to me and he's, the most beautiful and spectacular thing I've ever seen in my life. But I didn't get to hold him. And she took him off to the NICU and um, he was um, well taken care of there. Justin went with him as well. And um, I just, uh, I kind of went into recovery of um, everything. And um, yeah, it was in that moment not in a specific moment, but in this experience that I really witnessed firsthand, personally, how far away from the sacredness of birth we have gotten, that birth is the most impactful thing someone can experience and live to tell about it. I mean, the other two are like birth and death, right? We can't talk about our birth and we can't talk about our death, but we can sure talk about birth when we witness it or experience it personally. And being treated the way that I was in the hospital as a mother who, you know, didn't know any better. I was a first time mom. I, how could I know what my body needs? These were professionals. They experienced birth all the time. And having my strength questioned and my resolve questioned um, was very difficult. Um, at the time, truthfully, I felt like I just did my job. I did what I was supposed to do. I remember telling people the story of Jai's birth and them just 
being amazed at the situation. And I remember thinking like, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like I, I did what I had to do. Um, but now being almost five years away from my son's birth, I realized like how tremendously traumatic that was. And um, it, it, it has forever impacted my life and my marriage and my family in, um, in beautiful and in uh, painful ways. And so, yeah, that was my transition from being a maiden into a mother. Um, to let you all know that everything was fine, my son was expected to spend over two months in the NICU, um, but he ended up getting out in 37 days. He was home in time for our Halloween. Um, and uh, we had a wonderful Thanksgiving and holiday season with him and transitioning into being a family of three. It ended up being very beautiful in the end um, and brought my husband and I very close. And um, yeah, we knew our lives would never be the same and they haven't been. Um, but part of the reason that I share my transition is because I know in a lot of ways my transition from being um, a maiden and still being playful despite my pregnancy to a mother and having the responsibility of another life in my hands at all times, I know that my transition is not unique, um, which saddens me um, deeply actually. And uh, my hope is that with this podcast, with this community, um, this space, we are able to share more stories, more experiences, um, even research and science about this sacred transition from maiden to motherhood. Um, and come to understand and deeply value when we personally or we witness other people close to us in our lives making this transition, that we we recognize it, this is not just a woman who will suddenly have a baby in 10 months. This is a, a person transitioning from being a girl in a lot of ways to being a woman. Um, you know, they always say that the first transition from being a girl to womanhood is when you um, begin your menstruation. Um, and that is a very sacred transition as well. Um, but I would venture to guess that... Uh, 30-year-old Natalie and 13-year-old uh, Natalie, when I began my menstruation, uh, had a lot in common still in terms of um, exploring life and what I knew I wanted to do in life and um, how I spent my days and what I prioritized. Those things were very much still the same. It just happened that I had a job and I was married and had a house, um, but I still was um, a girl in a lot of ways. Um, and to live in a culture that does not honor in the way that it should the grandness of moving from being independent to being someone's dependent um, is huge. It is not something to be dismissed as it is so often. Um, and so, yeah, this is my journey so far um, into this podcast. And um, I'm really excited to continue to share with you 
um, not only my experiences, I've had two other births um, with my other two children, one um, a successful home birth with a midwife, and my um, third child, my second son, uh, was a free birth at home by myself, just my husband and I. And those were also transitions from um, not necessarily maiden to motherhood, but I crossed the threshold again into motherhood by inviting those two additional um, souls into our family. And um, I'm just excited to share more about that with you guys, as well as we have some amazing people that you are going to hear from. Um, not only personal stories, both um, empowering and invigorating and um, you know, sad and uh, full of grieving still, but we'll hear from um, professionals and um, other powerhouse women who are trying in their own way to assist women in navigating this journey from maiden to mother, this transition of um, not just pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, but of the body, mind, and spirit, and how there is a new lens that becomes uh, our main manner of seeing the world, um, and how drastically different it is from the um, rose-colored glasses of the uh, maiden archetype in our lives. So yeah, this is just the beginning, friends. Hopefully this is something that you are excited to uh, hear more about and to um, come along with me on this journey. Um, there's nothing quite like knowing that um, we are here for each other and we are able to connect um, as detrimental as our technology may seem to a lot of people, this technology is bringing us all closer and helping to bridge gaps that um, I think have caused quite a few generational wounds. And it's from this point forward that we can start to work together, come together to um, help the generations of women we have now and to come to really return to the source of how absolutely magnificent and magnanimous birth is. So I leave you with this, there is no perfect, there is only real. I want to thank you for spending part of your day here with us. Hopefully you have found some new inspiration, strength, and courage to move forward on your journey. Until we connect again, I see you and I love you.